0: What I'd like to do today is actually work through both passages, uh, both chapters. Next week, we got a break from 1 Samuel, okay? And I wanted to spend some time next week uh, looking at the, the Lord's Supper, what the Scriptures say about that, and baptism, bringing both pieces together. And then in two weeks, because I think I and we need to learn on that, and then in two weeks, uh, we're going to begin... In the book of Ephesians, together with the other congregation. But now we're going to finish first Samuel, good Lord, willing. and if the Lord is willing, we will return to it either in the fall or in January to second uh, Samuel. okay? Following? Yeah? Yeah, good. First Samuel chapter 30. The scattered brain, I need to pray. Let's pray. God, these are your words, not mine. And I pray that you would be our teacher. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're gonna, we, last week we read 1 through 6 and we touched on it. We wa- talked about it. I just want to read it today to remind ourselves where we've been. And then we'll carry on. 1 Samuel chapter 30 starting in verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the woman and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's stop there. Just stop to remember. Just feel the weight of David's situation. He is at the bottom. So is his men. And they really have no idea what has happened to their families and their stuff. One of the commentaries I mentioned last week said this is like Job times 600. They've lost everything. Now let's carry on verse 7. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezoar, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He and four hundred men, two hundred stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bazor. Let's stop there, and let's take a look at that passage. This morning, what I'd like us to do is, I'm doing the preacher thing, okay? Four G letters, okay? I want to look at guidance. I want to look at grace. I want us to look at generosity, and I want us to see grief. So guidance, grace, generosity, and grief in the text. And in this first section, I want us to notice guidance. Look at verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord. It was in this moment of desperation that David strengthened himself in the Lord. We talked about what that looked like last week. And then our text says, and David said to Abathar the priest. So it's on top of that, he's doing something else. He strengthened himself in the Lord, and now he's inquiring of the Lord. He's going to God in prayer, he's seeking guidance. It's interesting that phrase, David inquired of the Lord. The last time we saw this was in chapter 23, where David inquired of God, Should I go into battle? God says, Go for it. Now we see it again. It seems that there was a there was a bit of a gap in between of David inquiring of God, or maybe, maybe, maybe we can see in this in, in, in the last several chapters where David's faith was faint. But here David is crying out to God, what should I do? And so he calls the priest and says, Bring the ephod. What's an ephod? Yeah, David's doing this thing. Yes. The priest would wear this. It was a garment that the priest would wear. covers for sure his 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 chest area. It could have been a, bit of, a little bit bigger, more, much like an apron. And on this garment, above the heart, was this Urim and Thummim. We really don't completely understand what this Urim and Thummim was or how they used it other than It was used if they had questions or wanted direction or guidance from God. Some believe it was two different stones, one white stone and one a a dark stone. We don't exactly know how they got answers. We know that it was used actually a little more extensively in the early part of the monarchy. It seems to have disappeared, and it returns in, in the book of Ezra after the Babylonian captivity, and then we don't hear about it. It was one of the ways that the Israelites sought God. Another way was they would go to the prophet, and the prophet would speak for God. Another way was they'd open up the first five books of the Old Testament, and they go, what has God said? What's interesting is when David inquired of the Lord, from this point on, up until about the time where he commits adultery with Bathsheba, David is inquiring of God a great deal. In chapter 2, we have this phrase. Chapter 5, we have this phrase. Chapter 7, we have him talking to the prophet, Nathan. There's this ongoing conversation. He's listening, hearing from God. And then we see David inquired of the woman, Bathsheba. It, It seems earlier in chapter 25 that David is saying in his heart... Maybe there was a season where David wasn't inquiring of God. Regardless, at this point, David cries out to God and God gives an answer. Now, you and I would love it if we could have this little garment. And Every time we had to make a decision, we just look at the garment and cry out to the... whatever. I don't know what they did. But God would say, okay, well, I I want you to put this money into this account or into this stock or into... Wouldn't that be sweet? But we're misunderstanding what this garment actually did. It was not that everybody always had access to this priest and this garment. It was primarily used by the leaders, by the, the nation. Should we go to war? Should we make this decision? Um... And quite frankly, you and I have it far better. According to the Scriptures, Hebrews chapter 4, listen to these words. This is what we're told. Let us therefore... Sorry, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I don't know how big the nation of Israel was at the time of David. At the time of Moses and Joshua there might have been a million people probably bigger by now but if let's say there was a million would that million have access to the high priest certainly not every day for every decision but we have a great high priest that we have access to that we can turn to we can run to at any moment he understands our, our setting. He's, he's, he's lived this life. We can cry out to Him. and In a time of need, what does He do, the Scriptures say? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He not only understands, but He's willing to help with mercy and grace undeserved. There's way too many times in my life when I'm in a time of need and I run to people, I run to books, I run to all kinds of things before I run to God and say, Lord, what ought I to do? I'm guilty. That's why I think David... When we look at these chapters, I think the text is trying to paint this picture that David is is, is, is much like us. Where do you run to to seek guidance? Let's carry on in First Samuel. Verse thirty, starting at verse eleven. Remember, God says, "Go ahead, pursue the Amalekites." Or, at this point, I don't think they even know they're Amalekites. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt. Servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. He had made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, "Will you take me down to this band?" And he said, "Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master." And I will take you down to this band. It's a, it's a fascinating little passage, but I want you to see God's grace over these next little few sections. David at this point learns that it was the Amalekites, a band of Amalekites that had taken down his family and burned his city to the ground. A- at this point, it looks like it's been several days since that happened. And how in the world was David? He was told to go ahead and pursue, and I will give you these people into my, into my hand into your hand, but how's he going to find them? And God, by his providential care, caused this Egyptian slave we don't know his name to get sick, to be left alone to die. David and his 600 men stumble upon him. Stumble, I put it in quotation marks. And find out that he's part of this band that just happened to be the one that... You see God's care, God's grace, how God, how God just orchestrated and God used somebody of little consequence? I think it's Francis Schaefer writes a beautiful article, There's No Little People. God's grace. Let's carry on in reading 1 Samuel chapter 30 starting to verse 16 and when he he had taken them down behold they were spread abroad over all the land eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Complete reversal. They were completely distressed, bitter in soul, wanting to stone David. And now they're crying out, this is David's spoil. This is what he's captured. But I want you to see God's grace. Isn't that astounding? These are a ruthless people that have burned a city to the ground. It's been days and not one of their wives or children, nothing that they own, small or great, was missing. It's almost impossible to believe God's grace. David, you remember how he stumbled on Saul, or Saul stumbled on him a couple of times, and now here in the middle of nowhere, David and his men stumble upon the Amalekites because of an Egyptian slave, and everything is saved, everything is spared. Let's carry on. I want you to continue to see God's grace. I think it gets even clearer. Look at verse 21. Then David came to to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bazar. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Did you see what's going on? 600 men David has. They've already traveled to go with the Philistines Then they had to go three days' journey back to Ziglag. Then they find out that their family is all gone. They're completely distressed. There is no more strength in them. Then they're told you need to go and pursue them and David does obey and goes and pursues them. But they get to a certain point, they get to this brook, and, and 200 of the men are finally said, oh, we're exhausted, we can't go any further. And so David says, you stay here with our baggage, 400 carry on. Great victory, David's spoil, they're coming back, they're marching back, and we're told that worthless men from among David's 400. said, these guys don't deserve anything, they didn't come with us. And listen to what David says. You shall not do so, my brothers. He calls these worthless men, my brothers. David says we're family. We're part of God's household. We're, we're together on this. And then listen to what David says next. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. It could have got to David's head as his men were crying out, David, spoil! But David's looking at all that spoil in front of him, and he's looking at his two wives, and he's looking at his children, and he's looking at his stuff, and he's looking at his men who are now happy and no longer wanting to stone him. And he's looking at these things, and he's just overwhelmed by God's grace. God did this. A number of years ago, I, mean, I was just a young man, 19, 20 years old. I was volunteering a full-time position for a church in northern Alberta. And I learned and grew in so many ways in this context. There was two men on that eldership board. Well, there were several men on that eldership board that I grew to love. But there's two men that both invested in my life in a big way. And I, and I remember one of the men saying to me about the other guy. And this is always a problem. <laughs> but he was saying, this guy doesn't do, he doesn't carry his weight. He doesn't do enough stuff. And I'm just a young guy and, and, and I started looking and going, well, yeah, this guy does this, 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 and this. And this guy well, there might be a couple things on the list. (laughs) And so I I had to agree with him. I was like, it was a couple years later, I came back to that place and and I did a summer internship and I was helping this guy change the oil on his vehicle. I was laying under the vehicle in his shop and this guy shows up, doesn't know that I'm there. I'm laying under the vehicle. I don't know if I'm, who knows what I was doing because I don't know what I'm doing under a car, but <laughs> I was doing something and I stayed under there because these guys started talking, but I began to realize, over the years, I, I've realized in the context of the church, the church is, is broken people who fight. And these two said things to each other that I, I, I wish I never, had never heard. I love both of them. I believe they eventually worked it out. I don't know. I haven't been part of that. Uh, They're both serving God now, today, and and I'm thankful for it in, in in their different settings. But I think the attitude of the one, thinking he was better than the other, drove that conversation a couple years later. The truth is that the 400 men who had strength to carry on, that strength was from God. If God takes our little church and roots us and and causes us to grow and and allows us to produce fruit and to blossom and become something that lasts for generations, uh, he gets all the glory. It's not anything I or we have done. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. We work hard and we strive and all of those things. But I love what David does here. He doesn't say, oh, you worthless man." He says, oh, you my brothers. We shall not do this with what the Lord has given us. David understood that it was all grace. He cries out to God for guidance. God gives it. Then God graciously shows him the way. God graciously spares all of his family. And God graciously helps David see that it's all grace. Verse 26. When David came to Ziglag, he, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of Negeb and Jader and Aror and Ziph... I'm, I'm going to butcher all these names. In Zipmoth and Estemoa in Rakel and the cities of the Jeremalites, and the cities of the Kenites in Horma and Borashan and Atak... In Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed, do you see the generosity? You see, David looked for God's guidance. David and David saw God's grace, and, and understanding His grace, he was able to be generous. Isn't that what Jesus? Our Paul commanded the Corinthians to, to to remember what God had done on the cross—His incredible love—and out of that, we were to open up our wallets and go, "Thank you, Jesus." and give our money. That's what they were called to do. Grace should drive our generosity. And what does David do? He's got a city to rebuild. He's got all this spoil. But he goes, you know what? We have roamed the land of Judah for many years, and I'm going to give back. And isn't that exactly what Christ has done? When we go through the book of Ephesians, you can take a peek a little later if you want this week. Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus has come and He's giving gifts to the church. Not only did He save us and die for us, but He's giving gifts to the church. That's what David's doing. No, no, David wasn't the perfect, the perfect king. He would come later. His name's Jesus. But David, at least at this moment in his life, was a beautiful picture of that king. Let's carry on. We're going to finish. Read chapter 31. Uh, Notice the grief. We won't spend a lot of time, but I want to read it. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, And that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. The Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beshan and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. There's a great deal I could say about this particular text. Quite frankly, I don't want to say anything about it. It's just an ugly text, isn't it? It's ugly. Let's just face it. Do you see the grief? The grief on a number on a number of fronts. There's death. There's this word, they've fallen. It's very similar to what we see at the beginning of 1 Samuel when Eli falls. Jonathan dies. Jonathan's been nothing but a stellar example of what we ought to be like. He's dead. All Israel has fled. Entire nation. Has been affected by this. Saul, three sons, killed. They're they're mocked by putting up against the wall, hanging there. The Old Testament, Book of Deuteronomy says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. This was the lowest of low for an Israelite. What's going on here? Why would God allow this? Not all grief is because of sin. But this grief is because of sin. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, rather than obeying the the voice of the Lord, what God had said, Saul decided to go his own way. He rebelled against what God said and did his own thing. And, and And he... pretended to repent but there was never true repentance there was never true turning back to the lord I was sorry you got caught please come with me samuel so i look good in front of the elders and samuel made it very clear then and made it very clear later that this would be the result Saul's rebellion had an impact not only on him, but upon his three children and upon his whole nation. Ouch. Grief. And so at the same time, you've got two kings having battles in different parts of the world. One inquiring of the Lord. And the other who refused to obey the word? And this was their end. The the New Testament tells us that when we look back at the Old Testament, there's an element of it. This is an example for us. Let us hear. As you're reading the Bible at home and you come across what God has said and you're not doing it, Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Turn to Him. And and if you're doing it, say, thank you, Lord, that you've helped me and helped me to carry on. And if this is new to you, you go, "I I ought to be doing this, Lord, help me. And obey Him. Go, do. In His power, in His strength. If not... There's other words that we like to use, but at the, bottom, at the end of the day, it's just rebellion. And the end will be grief. Now there is grace, because I see David. David inquired of the Lord, I think after a time of maybe a fickle faith or a hiccup of faith or however you want to look at it, and God in his grace spared him and his men fulfilling what God would say that he would be king as I look at this text I'm reminded of how we ought to live but I'm also reminded of how kind and good our God is run to him this week let's pray Lord, I thank you that we can run to you for guidance. You are the great high priest. You understand, and in a time of need, Father, not only will you show us mercy, but also grace. That's what you said. Thank you. Teach us to depend upon you in such a way that we would consistently and constantly inquire of you. Father, I want to say thank you for your grace. That grace is evident in so many ways, primarily because you gave your son Jesus to die for us, but Father, also the fact that we have food, a shelter over our heads, a place that we can gather to worship, that we can know one another and encourage each other. Lord, that is all grace. Thank you. And so much more. But Father, I thank You for Your generosity that was displayed in Your grace and help us to see that and be generous. And Lord, not just with our money, but in every way. And Father, I pray that You'd help us to be a people who trust Your Word. When we fail and fall short, may we repent and may we turn back to You and would You help us to obey Your Word. Spare us from the grief that Saul experienced. Father, we need You. We thank You that You loved us and we thank You for Your Word. Would it continue to grow and shape us? In Your precious name we pray. Amen. This morning we we continue our service around the table. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know Him as your Lord and Savior, if there's been a place and time where you've repented, you're welcome to join us at the table. We simply break the bread together. We take a piece of the bread and we dip it into the cup. We stop and we remember and say, Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done upon the cross. We'll do that as a family. So come, don't come alone, bring somebody with you, okay? Please stand as we worship and remember.